So today I want to pick up on where we, where I ended the last the time I spoke in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus was giving a warning to his believers, to his new believers, of the coming false prophets and the false disciples. And when we talked about that, we, we talked about false prophets, and we also talked about how so often the things that we hold precious and we hold dear to us, we often can put them on a pedestal in our life and make them an idol. As good as they are, we often, we can, if we're not careful, make them a false God so that we then can allow that false God to speak as a false prophet into our lives. And Jesus told us about that. He warned us about that. And um, so today we're going to be back in the same passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through, through 23. But this time we're going to be talking about what it is to be a true, fa- a true prophet and a true disciple. You know, when Jesus gives us good warnings, they're for a reason. And we need to study his warnings. But thank the Lord, though, that he doesn't leave us just with a bad news gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, not the bad news. But we have to understand what he's talking about. We have to understand his warnings and we have to understand his consequences if we're going to be able to truly appreciate the good news of the gospel. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about true prophets and true disciples, beginning um, in our study of Matthew chapter 7 in our text. So it says, beginning at verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Verse 18, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Let's continue on then. Jesus doubles down now as he's talking about the uh, true and false disciples now. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Let's pray. Father, help us in this time now of understanding what you would have us to understand in this rather difficult passage. These are some hard words that are being said. And Lord, we need to know how we bear in this. We're not, I'm sure you're not telling everybody that they're evil, but you are certainly inviting us to evaluate our own lives. And so, God, I help, that's my prayer today that you would allow us to do that and we would discern your, your, from your wisdom what you would have in this so that we would make sure that we are doing the right thing and bearing the good fruit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So in both of these passages, these categories, Jesus is declaring that there are good people and there are bad people. And I don't think we have any question about that. I think that we know that there are good people in this life and there are also bad people. He's also describing the horrific punishment and judgment that comes to those that don't meet his expectations and his requirements. By this, I mean that those who have had opportunity to make their heart right with the Lord and have not. That's the bad person. I mean, in all honesty, we're all there. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So there is no one righteous amongst us. We all have the issue of sin in our life. And if we say anything different, then we're lying. So let's us understand that. But what we're also identifying here, what Jesus is helping us identify here, is how we can identify true versus false. True prophets versus false prophets. True disciples versus false disciples. So he's, he's, he's given us a way that we can identify true from false. In verse 20, he says, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. He's given us it a way that we know who I am and who I profess to be and who I really am by a, an evaluation of the fruit that my life bears. And then in the second category of being a false or a true disciple, he also says that only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. <laughs> it's clear that Jesus wants us to know who we are. And it's clear that he wants us to know who, whose company we keep. That we are to be able to discern if the people that are around me, the ones that give me influence in my life, are they false prophets or true prophets? There's no secret here. God is not trying to keep us in the dark. He wants us to be able to discern good from wrong, false from true. Especially in the day that we're living in today. Deception is so rampant, isn't it? I mean, it is just everywhere. No matter where we live, we are all about trying to understand what's true and what's not true. That seems to be the, the battle of the day is truth. The devil is all about deception. I mean, that's all he ever was or will be. He's a vile liar, and that's all he does is lie to you and to me. <clears throat> so it's okay, then, that we listen to the consistent message of Scripture that says, learn to discern truth from false. Understand that. So even with this information, however, it's what, another, something else that we're going to pick up out of this is that the final judgment that comes upon false prophets and false disciples does not come from men. It comes from God. He is the ultimate judge. So what are the consequences of being false? Well, verse 19 says, So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. In verse 23, for the true or false disciple, it says, but God says, I will repay, I will re but I will reply, I never knew you, get away from you, 
me who, you who break God's laws. So the judgment, the consequences of being false are really serious. <laughs> I mean, how much more serious can it be to be chopped down and thrown into the fire? How much more serious can, can it be for God to say, I never knew you, get away from you, me, you who broke God's laws? I mean, so the consequences of being false are serious. Amen? We can't make that, we, we can't sugarcoat that. So what I want to talk to us about today is how do we live in order to be a true, true prophet and a true disciple? We know the consequences are great judgment. We know the consequences are eternity based in hell. So how do we live a life so that we are true? How do we seek truth? How do we live in a, a life of truth in, in an area, in a world of darkness and falsehood? Well, let's focus on what that means. A good tree produces good fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. Now, obviously, there is a, a spiritual analogy here because we're not turning into trees. <laughs> we're not, you know, going to say, okay, now everybody's going to be an apple tree. And we're not saying that, but there's, there's an obvious analogy here spiritually about being a good tree as being a good spiritual person. The obvious question then becomes, what kind of fruit does God consider to be good? What is good fruit? Well, let's get to the basics here. Being the, the most important thing to start with is that if I'm going to be good, I must be true. There's nothing good that comes out of falsehood. There's nothing good that comes, that comes out of pretending. If there's a sign on a tree that says it's an apple tree, then we have every expectation to think that that tree is going to produce an apple. And if it produces a pear, something's wrong. Something's wrong. So let's just see the simplicity of right and wrong. If I'm professing to be something that I'm not, then I'm wrong. And let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not say it, oh, it's just my personality. It's not, it's not my temperament. It's my heritage. No, it's not. It's wrong. And let's just say it for that so we can recognize then how do we make it good? How can we change? So being truthful is the first part of bearing good fruit. Being truthful is the first part of being a good producer of good fruit. In, this, in the, today's world of the internet and uh, Facebook and web pages, this is such a, a, a temptation to, do any, to be anything but true. I mean, I, I go back to my days when I was at Elog, and when I was, we were generating a product there, and I was in the process of developing a website so that we could market the product that we were making. And, you know, I had to really be careful that I didn't over-exaggerate the benefits of the product, that I didn't oversell and under-deliver. Because it's so easy to be anything you want to be on the Internet. It's so easy to be anything you want to be on Facebook. You know, you can take a small company 
that is basically working out of somebody's garage and by the web page that you give that company, they can look like they're a tier one supplier to, to Ford Motor Company. And in all honesty, they're just a little guy in his basement or in his garage, right? And so it's so easy to make false claims. But the reality is, is that it's difficult to live life when you're trying to be something that you're not. And I think it's very important for church that we, make, that we are being honest about who we are, that we're not trying to be something bigger because it makes us look better into the community. I'd much rather be who we are and be true so that when people walk in and come into our services, they see who we're professing to be is truth. And that is based upon the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's based upon who, who are we inviting into our service and who we, are we inviting into our life on a consistent basis. So we need to properly understand the expectations of what it means to be true if we're going to be a true follower of Christ. Fruit is always the end product. And it's the, it's the result of a good growing season. Fruit is something that is bared at the end of the day. You don't plant an apple tree from an apple seed and expect to get an apple tomorrow. It has to take time. And we have to, we have to invest in the, in the growth of the tree before it can ever have fruit. And so a gardener that is a, uh, a good gardener will take the time and he'll go into great length and he'll go into great investment to properly plant and nourish the seed so that it bears a good product at the end of the, at the, end of the growing season. He'll spray for bugs. He'll make sure it's weeded. He'll make sure it's watered. He'll make sure that it, it doesn't freeze if he can help it to, produ- to protect that little flower that's budding to become a, turn into an apple at the end of the day. There's a considerable amount of intentional investment that has to be made in that plant if it's going to bear fruit at the end of the growing cycle. It doesn't happen by mistake. And it's the same thing in the life of a believer. We have to be intentional into what are we putting into our life if we are going to expect to have good fruit at the end of the day. Amen? I, I can't fill it with junk if I, expect get, if, I, if I expect to have good fruit at the end. I, I need to be putting it with good nourishment in my body. You know the saying is, you are what you eat? Absolutely we are. You know that we fill our life with junk food and then we expect to be healthy? No, it doesn't work. We have to plan. We have to be intentional. We have to exercise. We have to take care of things in our life. That's the process of natural growth. Paul writes this to the Philippians. He says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing, hear this, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit, the end result of your salvation the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. 
For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So do you see the progression of a, of a spiritual life here? That we're to be filled and overflowing with the continuing knowledge, of growing knowledge of who God is in our life. That we don't just get saved and immediately have all the answers. We don't get saved and immediately delivered from all the problems in our life. That's why we have to go through a, that's why we need to pray for each other, to be broken of the bondages that we have. That's what being, that's what growing up is about. It's a deliberate and intentional process in us to develop and nurture our growth in the Lord so that fruit will be evident in our salvation. So that I will have fruit as my my evidence, my, my, my proof that I am who I say I am because I have salvation in my spirit and it brings glory to God. Not to me, but brings glory to God. Peter also understands this process of being a fruit bearer. He writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, he says, His divine power, who is his God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate, hear this, that you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you hear what Peter's saying here? He's saying that God is giving us everything we need God has given us all the power that we need to have to live a lifestyle that is godly. He doesn't just send us out there to to do it on our own. No, he's given us the ability. He's given us the power. We don't have to live in this life in a worldly compromise misery of regretting what we did last night. We may be tempted to self-medicate. We may be tempted to thinking that that's going to give us the answer. But we all know for those that have done that, that it doesn't give the answer. It only makes tomorrow harder because now you have the guilt of what you thought you were trying to do to make it better yesterday. Amen? Self-medication is not the answer. That's a compromise. And then he says in verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Here's the process. Here's what it is to be a good gardener. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, Uh, Love, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, what he's saying is that if you do these things, this this will make you productive. It will bear good fruit in your life. Boy, there's, there's a whole sermon. We could spend a whole sermon going through every one of those things that we add to. But the point I wanted to make here was really what he says in verse 5. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and so forth. But, he's, but what I'm trying to say is that we have to make the effort. We have to make the effort. We have to be intentional. 
Even though we're saved by grace and by grace alone, this is not, this is not a, a works-based salvation message at all. If we're going to be true fruit bearers, then God requires effort on our part to protect our tree, to protect our life. Because Peter says, if you possess these, possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, as you continue to allow things to grow in your life, godly things to grow in your life, but how do you do that? By getting in the word, by having your prayer time, by being diligent that you don't let yourself grow slack in areas of getting into the word. Because that's where our strength comes from. That's where truth comes from. If you want to make sure your life is full of truth, then stay in the word of God. Because that's the, that's the beginning and the end of truth. What's the evidence of the fruit? The evidence is righteousness. The evidence is the fact that you now can learn how to live tomorrow better than you live today. Maybe not in perfection, but in improvement. You're going to be better tomorrow than you were today as you continue to build truth in your life and continue to build on to these characteristics. <clears throat> Remember, we're talking about how we bear the fruit that people recognize in our life. You see, we, we can't help by claiming to be something. I mean, you are, if you go to this church, you go to any church, you are professing that you are a church-believing person, and so you can't get through life without making a claim of something. So let's just be careful then what we're claiming to be a part of. <laughs> Last night was a football game at the, uh, the Green Bay Packers and the, and the uh, San Francisco 49ers, and they were playing in Green Bay, and it was really, really cold. It's always cold in Green Bay in January. Come on, seriously? But I heard him say it, and I thought this was really pretty novel. He said, you know what? If we're going to play in it, we might as well win it. If we're going to be in it, let's go ahead and win it. And that's the same thing in our Christian life, guys. If we're going to claim to be a Christian, then let's go ahead and win it. Let's go ahead and give it all our effort. Let's not go into a compromise. Let's not go in and say, well, we're going to claim to be a Christian, but, you know, we're going to look for the easy way out. No, no. If you're going to win the game, you've got to play it. And if you're going to be a Christian that's going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God, then you've got to play the game to win it. So if we're going to go through it, then let's just double down and win it. Let's not compromise. So that we can read Matthew chapter 7, 16 and 17, and it says you can identify them by their fruit, that is by the way they act. Did you hear that? People identify you of who you are by the way you act, not necessarily just what you say. Our actions really do matter. Can you pick... Pick, can you pick grapes from a thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. You identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Hmm. So a true prophet yields a harvest of good fruit. That's, their, that's how you're going to know who you are, by the fruit that you produce. It's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. 
A good, a true prophet produces good fruit. And then Jesus doesn't leave it there. He doubles down now in the next part, the next passage we're going to talk about, beginning in verse 21 through 23, because he says some very hard words. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but this is a scary verse. Because who here hasn't called out Lord, Lord? I have. Sure. But just because I call out Lord, Lord, does that mean that I'm going to have entrance into heaven? No. Only those, listen, only those that actually do the will of God will be able to enter heaven. Man, that's big. That's huge because it's not just who I profess to be anymore. It's who I really am. Am I actually doing the will of God? You see, there's a difference between those who claim to be doing the will of God and those that actually do the will of God. If there wasn't a difference, then why would Jesus say it this way? If there's not a difference here, then why would he say there is a difference? Well, then why would he make that the difference maker? The only thing that, that keeps a person that is claiming to be a Christian out of heaven is the fact that they don't do the will of the Father. So therefore, there is a difference between one who professes and one who confesses, one who just says they are and one who actually is. Doing the will of the Father, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, as always, let's go back and look at the life of Jesus. If you want to have a good role model, then go study the life of Jesus. John chapter 5, 19 through 30. We're going to read a few passages here, so walk, work with me. Stay with me here. He's, Jesus explained, so I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. So Jesus makes it very clear that he does only what the Father tells him to do. That, by definition, is living a life according to the will of God. So if, we're, if we want to be in following Jesus' footsteps, we need to be asking the Father, what is it that you would have me to do? And then wait for an answer. Why would God ask you to ask him if he isn't going to give you an answer? Why would we be even thinking about asking to, about the will of God if we don't think that God is going to show us his will. And sometimes maybe we misunderstand what that means. Understanding the will of God is a simple thing, actually. It's not complicated. It's just saying, God, show me how to be obedient to your commands. You've, you've given me some commands in your word that are pretty direct. Now just show me how do I live according to them. It's not difficult. We make it sometimes way too hard. 
Jesus goes on in this passage to prove the fact that the authority that the Father is giving him is the authority then that he follows. Because God is giving Jesus authority to do some things. Verse 21, For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he is given the Son absolute authority to judge. So that everyone will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. So God is giving Jesus the authority to do what the Father is asking him to do. That's doing, that's living according to the will of God. Jesus is our prime example of how he, we, he, how he lived according to the will of God so that then we can model that in our life. Verse 24 says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. That's the person living according to the will of God. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. So again, for those that are living their lives according to the will of the Father, it starts through simple obedience. Not complicated, not saying, God, I, I need to know my, your plans for the next five years, even though sometimes we think that would be nice, but I'm not so sure that it would be nice because if you knew what the plans were for five years from now, you might not want to go tomorrow. You might not want to wake up and get out of bed tomorrow. Because you just take one step at a time. So you understand what the will is for God today in your life. And that is number one, obedience. And then there's a promise. Skipping down to verse 28 of John chapter 5. Jesus promises to those that do the will of the Father that he will have life in this life in abundance, and he will also rise again to a new life of eternal life. That's the promise that I want. I mean, if we're going to live it, we might as well win it, right? If we're going to be in it, let's go ahead and live to win it. Verse 28 says, So don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. For those who have done good, in other words, those who have lived according to the will of the Father, will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued to, to, do, to continue in evil, or in other words, those that lived in disobedience, will rise to experience judgment. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just, because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. So, if again... If I'm measuring my life according to Jesus, and if Jesus says that he is living out the will of the one who sent him, who is his heavenly father, and he's not living according to his own will, even after he's been given the authority to do all the things he's been given authority to do, he still places himself under the will of the father. If that's what Jesus is doing, then why do I think I can do any different and live? <laughs> I mean, why do I have this narcissistic attitude in my life to say, you know what, I can live the way I want to live and still be acceptable by the Father? Where does that come from? 
It doesn't come from the Bible at all. It, it comes from the liar, the, the, the father of all lies, the enemy that would say, did God really say? Is he really indicating to you that you have to live according to his plan? No, you don't have to do that. Come on, you're bigger than that. That's just a crutch. That's for those weak Christians. Live the way you want to live. Be a man. Come on, get out and enjoy the gusto of life. Don't be afraid. That's what the devil's trying to say, to live the life the way you want to live it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. If any man could have done that, Jesus could have done that. And he would, he would have had the right to do that because of who he was. But he makes it very obvious, very clear to us here. That I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. So if you want to be a true disciple, if you want to be that man that is welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, then live according to the will of the Father in your life. And don't overcomplicate it. My commentary says it this way. The obedience to God's will demanded by Christ is an ongoing condition for salvation. It does not save us, but it is a response and the result of true salvation. What this is saying is just as a fruit is a result of a successful growing season, the fruit of a tree, salvation is the result of ongoing obedience to living according to God's will. A tree produces good fruit. A person living according to the will of the God produces salvation. Good fruit. Yet it is still God's power and grace that enables us to live by his standards. This means that we must continually pray for that grace, the grace that saved us. We're saved by grace, right? But now we must pray for that grace, then we must receive it, and we must put it into action by true faith and devotion to Christ. Grace changes. Even though it's never changing, what it does, it changes its effect in my life from a life that, a grace that saves me into a life that enables me to live it, to win it. It, it changes in me to give me grace to be stronger than what I was before. By changing my desires, by changing my carnal man's fleshly desires into a, a man that says, no, 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 I don't want to do that anymore. I used to live that way. Now God's grace is getting stronger in me, allowing me to say no to those habits, to those life-controlling situations, to, to that self-medication process. It's saying no to that and yes to God. Yes to change. Yes to, let me, to make him better than what I was. That's grace. And when I don't allow grace to grow, I'm stifling God's ability to create a harvest in myself. I'm actually saying, no, don't, don't water my plant, God. Don't fertilize my plant. Let my plant live on its own. And if my plant lives on its own, it's going to die. Jackie, would you come, please? Paul wrote this to the church of Philippi, and I think this is a great word for us today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear friends, 
as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence. Here it is. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's his plan that he wants to help you fulfill in your life. It's a process of working out one's salvation. It's a combination of our, our intentional cultivation of the goodness of God in our life. It's a process of us uh, fertilizing our life with God's word. And then doing the will of our Heavenly Father in order that we would be welcomed into his kingdom through the very simple act of obedience. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey me. See, even though we're saved by grace, the moment we got saved, it didn't end anything. What it did is it began, it put us on a journey of living a life of grace. You know, and it's going to require us to resist the temptations of this world. It's going to require from us to put down the things that we used to do because it was the easy thing to do. It made us, it, it was the comfort thing for us to do maybe and to pick up the standards of God's words that are maybe a little bit more difficult, that are stretching us a little bit more. And you know, you know where that comes from? It comes from the fact that we fear God, that we fear him. And this is not a fear that he's going to be a mean God. It is a reverential fear, an awesome fear of his greatness. You know, we, when we, as kids, we built Sugarbush Knoll of the, with my dad and my brother, and we had a D7 Caterpillar, big piece of machinery. And, you know, I was in awe of the power that that would have to push over a tree. And to pull the roots out of the tree, out of the ground and stuff. And, and I would stand and, and I would listen to it just, when its engine started to lug down, and it was rum, 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 rum. It just was awesome. It was fun to watch it work. Because I was in awe of the power of that machinery. And that's the reverential fear that we have of God. That we are in awesome respect of his power and his authority that can change my world, that can take my desires and change them. It can break the habit of nicotine. It can break the habit of alcohol and drugs. It can set me free because of that awesome power of God. That's how we work out our salvation. Because we're in reverential fear and awesome respect of an almighty God. the end of the story, guys, is this. The reality of being a true prophet and a true disciple is this. We cannot do it on our own. This is not something that you do on your own. You pick yourself up by your bootstraps every morning and get up and say, I'm going to be a true prophet today. No, you need to have an intentional aspect. You need to have an intentional desire to do that. But it says that in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You're not alone in this. I want you to know that. 
you're not alone. God is right there with you. He's given us everything. We already read it, that he's given us all power, every authority, that we can live a life of salvation, that we can live a life of good fruit. He's given us everything we need to have if we will just receive it. And we then just walk in it. God gives us the desires to carry out his will. The question is, am I willing to abide in it? It's a choice. Am I willing to trust God? (laughs) I love the fact that we're not alone. But I'm challenged by the fact that it's my choice to stay in his presence. It's my choice to get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I invite him to be with me today. I invite his Holy Spirit to be in my life today. Like we said earlier, talking about how we sometimes get confused and maybe have a hard time with, with prayer when it comes to God answering prayer. And remember, it's not my job to do the work. It's my job to do the asking. I have a part in it. I'm going to participate in it. But my participation is asking and then letting him do the work. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your promises today. I thank you, Lord, that you, first of all, you give us good warnings. God, I'm so thankful for the fact that you teach us truth. That you are not doing anything that is sub-truth or partial truth. It is the full truth of God's word. And that's what we need to hear. But I'm even more thankful for the fact that you don't leave us alone to have to try to figure out on our own. That you give us everything that we need so that we can be a good fruit bearer. That we can have assurance that we are going to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven because we will be a true disciple as we purposely live out the will of the Father. And it's all through obedience to your word. So, Father, I just invite you here now, Holy Spirit, to to be a part of our lives, to be a part of this church. God, that as we go throughout this week today, that we don't find ourselves struggling in our own ability and our own power to, to pick ourselves up, but rather we just ask you to be our our warrior. Fight on our behalf this week, Holy Spirit. We invite you in today and we ask you to defeat every enemy, everything that would come against us this week, God, that we just lay it at your altar, we lay it at your feet and we just declare your goodness and your grace and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would and let's sing the song that Larry, uh, Jackie and Tom are playing and let's just worship him this morning.
You know, what a fitting song here to wrap up today's message because this is where it starts. It starts in an attitude of surrender, right? God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. It starts at the altar. At the altar of my life, God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do and I'm going to put no boundaries on that. I'm not going to put no what ifs on that. Now listen, folks, as you go throughout your week, You're not alone. You're not alone in multiple ways. You have a friend. Call somebody. Call a brother or a sister in Christ. If you're at that moment in time when you're struggling with an addiction or a life-controlling issue and you're, and you're, you're feeling like you're all alone, you're not. Pick up the phone. Call me. Call Pastor Rip. Call one of your brothers sitting in this room with you right now or your sister's. It's so important that we stand with each other. I may need you someday, and you, will, you may need me someday or somebody else. And so we need to have that, that, that relationship, not with just Christ, but each other. Make sense? Amen. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Go with us, Holy Spirit. Go with us into our homes today. Go with us into our hearts today. And never let us think that we're alone. But God, I pray that you'd surround us with your love your will, your desires, God, your heart, that we would do the things that are pleasing in the sight of Jesus, that we would be welcomed into the kingdom because we're true. We're true in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Be blessed.